We're eating our way through Italy. This is one of my favorite topics, eating in Italy, Italian cuisine. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. I know it's a a little bit of a frustration for my wife because when I come home from a trip to Europe, both of us love Italian food, but I just don't want to eat Italian food in America. I'm so crazy about eating Italian food in Italy. There's something about it. One way or another, you just cannot miss the opportunity when you go to Italy to delve into that cuisine. And the more you understand it, I think the more you can enjoy it. So today, we're focusing on Italian cuisine. We're joined by two people who can give us an insight. Tommaso Panti comes from Sicily, and he's a guide. He leads tourists all over Italy. And from New York, we have Renee Restivo. For eight years, she's been working in Italy, and today she's a cooking teacher and guides culinary tours from the United States through Italy. Renee, thanks for joining us. Great to be here today to talk about this. And Tommaso Benvenuti. Thank you very much. Ciao. Renee, when you take groups through Italy, what is your agenda? How do you help them really appreciate Italian food? My agenda with them is to give them the real taste of authentic Italian cuisine and to really experience what it's like to live and eat in Italy because it is so different. You know, people do eat seasonally and they do devote a lot of time to preparing food. So I want to give them uh, a taste of, you know, the microzones. Um, not only the regions, but the provinces and lesser-known places and flavors. You would say as you travel around Italy, you should be aware of when you cross into a new region, you have a new cuisine. Yes, yes. It's so interesting because, you know, Italy is just so diverse. The geography is wonderful um, in that it's, you know, a peninsula surrounded by water. And also the history has just contributed so much in so many different ways. There's a lot of history in the food. And, of course, Italy is about the size of California with a lot of variety. Mm -hmm. Tommaso, you're born and raised in the Sicily area. Tell us the difference between uh, southern Italian cuisine and northern Italian cuisine. Well, we have uh, many differences in the two cuisine. For example, in the southern part of Italy, we eat a lot of uh, vegetables and fish. Fish is the main kind of food that you can find every day in our tables. In the northern part of uh, Italy, they eat less fish than us. But this is because uh, we are an island in Sicily, so we are surrounded by the Mediterranean Sea. So fish and vegetables. Every day you can go in our beautiful market in the southern part of Italy and you can buy fresh fruit and vegetables, which is produced locally. In the northern part of Italy, they prefer to buy the vegetables and fruit in the big supermarkets. So this is the main difference. Fresh food in the open-air market in the south, uh, vegetables in the supermarket in the north, which makes the difference, you know. Because I know that when I go in the market in Sicily, that vegetables uh, was just picked from the ground a couple of hours ago. In the northern part, we don't know when it was, you know. Hobsted. Would Northerners agree with you? that they... uh, I think so. I think so. Because every time they come from the north to the south, they get surprised about this, you know. And um, also, uh, let's say that we pay in the southern part of Italy, we pay a lot of attention to the food. For example, the main meal for us is lunch. Hmm. In the northern part of Italy, the main meal in general is dinner. Hmm. Why would that be? Well, uh, because of the different customs we have, and uh, forget that we have the siesta. So in the south, the siesta is stronger, and part of the siesta Absolutely. is a, a good lunch. Yes. A social time and maybe a nap. Exactly. Social time, because when we are seated on, around the table, we interact between us. Not necessarily we eat for three hours. 
split a couple of hours and then we interact. There's a big interaction you know, on the table that in the northern part of Italy, actually, we, we don't have about this. Yeah. Well, the northern part is more Germanic. You have Lombard people who have Germanic blood in, in Milano. They just yeah. they say there for every church in Rome, there's a bank in Milan and people are moving out. There's going to be business lunches That's in the true. north <laughs> and siesta lunches mm-hmm. in the south. Yeah. Renee, what's your take on the, on the regional differences in general from north to south? It's interesting because the the southerners will call the northerners some names like maybe Polentone Poli- yeah. because they you know had this history of Polenta maybe during the the poor times uh, you know. So wait a second. So the and people in the south they they sort of insult the northerners by calling them cornbread eaters basically. Like yeah, like a polenta, polenta eater. Well, it's not a cornbread, but it is kind of like a hot porridge that's made. They actually take the dried corn to the mulino to grind it at the mill. And then they bring it into their homes and they stir the polenta for 40 minutes. And this is across the north. I thought that was mostly uh, Veneto. It is actually in Tuscany as well and and in a lot of the north. But, you know, it's just a sort of stereotype. And you also find that northerners do stereotype uh, southerners as well. They have little names for them. Such as? Terrone, which is mean like one of the... Terra is earth in Italian. It means, uh, you know, the land and the earth. So they would associate someone of the south uh, with that sort of a name. And actually, I, you know, as a Sicilian-American, for example, embrace that. And I, I say, well, you know, they may say it's an insult, but this connection between the land and the table in, in Italian cuisine in general, whether you're in the north or the south, and also il mare, the sea and the table, is what makes, I think, the cuisine so wonderful and is why so many Americans are, are interested in traveling to Italy and experiencing it. Is there any crisis these days with seafood, uh, the Mediterranean being fished out or seafood being less safe to eat? Yes. <laughs> what is the concerns for a, a culture that's based on seafood? Well, what's happening is that many of the big Japanese fishing boats, because, you know, the Japanese love their sushi, and they would like the best fish, you know, from the Mediterranean. So the big fishing boats are sent into those areas. And I've also heard that from Poland, they have some big fishing boats as well. So it's of course, throwing off the balance a little bit. Hmm. But Italians are doing some things to try to keep their supply of tuna and swordfish where they'd like it to be. You know, and that's going to be a challenge. It's it's going to be a, a big challenge, I think, in the future. Tommaso, for fishing families in Sicily, what's the concern about the, the business these days? At the moment, I mean, actually in the Mediterranean, we are creating some fishing farm. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. so we're farming fish, uh, uh, for example, off of the coast uh, of Palermo. We have some fishing farm off of the coast of Catania as well. So that's the new reality is not not wild fish, but farmed fish. Farmed fish, but in the mm-hmm. Mediterranean Sea. Is there the a ocean. quality difference there? Would Would people in a fine restaurant want wild fish? No, I mean, it's, uh, the quality is exactly the same because it's, uh, the fish is grown in the... Because I believe in France, when you go to a market, it will say if it's wild fish or farmed fish. That's an ethic of theirs. We still don't have this distinction Distinction. between the two kinds of fish, yeah. Now, from north to south, isn't pasta sort of a common denominator in Italy? Yes, but of course it varies so much from north to south in terms of the types of shapes they use, the types of pasta they prepare. It's so interesting because when I go shopping for pasta in the United States, you know, even if I go to a gourmet specialty shop, I may find, if I'm lucky, maybe 50 different types, you know. But when I'm in Italy, there are aisles and aisles of them because there are just, you know, hundreds and hundreds of these different shapes. And each pasta shape 
does have a purpose, you know, to pair with particular sauces. What is the big deal? I think it's made of the, essentially the same thing, but it's a different shape, right? Well, it is a big deal because if you have one particular type of sauce, which is very rich or, um, you know, let's say has a lot of meat, like a Tuscan-style ragu with herbs, you would want to pair that with a particular type of pasta, like uh, maybe a tagliatelle, which is hopefully made in your home if you're in Italy, or, or handmade if you're in a restaurant, a trattoria. So does that make sense to you, Tommaso? Yes, uh, because, for example, tagliatello, we have the orecchiette, yeah. which is made in Rapa. This is typical in Apulia region, you know. So mm-hmm. with a different sauce, you want a different, different shape of pasta. Exactly. Okay, Rene, tell me a sauce, and we'll see what Tommaso would say for a shape. Well, he just mentioned orecchiette, and that that is actually something that Italian-Americans still make here, and they do kind of the right way with the broccoli rabe, which is, you know, sautéed in garlic and olive oil. That's a kind of nice combination. Or you could have uh, rigatoni with Tommaso. What would you put that one with? Uh, with uh, amatriciana sauce. Of course. Mm-hmm. Well, that's interesting because I don't know that much <laughs> about pasta. Plant. But when I have amatriciana, it's always with the fat spaghetti, right? Yes. Uh, that's rigatoni. Mm-hmm. Yes. You wouldn't mm-hmm. have, uh, what's the thinnest kind of spaghetti called? Uh, spaghettini. Well, cap- spaghettini. Oh, capellini, yes. Capellini, or capellini you, the yeah. angel hair. Yes. Angel hair. Would you put the uh, amatriciana sauce on the angel hair spaghetti? Well, I wouldn't, actually. <laughs> Why not? I wouldn't. You know, I, you would do, maybe do something lighter for that. Oh, okay. exactly. You know, if, and pesto has its own pasta. Mm-hmm. Linguine. Mm-hmm. Linguine al pesto. Is that right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, in Macaroni alla norma. Okay. Now, there was a scandal recently about the expensive pasta. What's going on there, uh, Tommaso? Uh, well... Not we a scandal. Ha- it was in the news. It uh, was in the news, yes. Uh, the price of the pasta, of the bread, uh, you know, increased between the 15 and the 20%. And you know what? Because uh, the farmers, they are dedicating part of uh, their land for the cultivation of corn. Ah, so it's they- corn against... Wheat. What exactly, is- because for them it's much more convenient from one economical point of view to grow corn. More yeah. economic? More, uh, more profitable? Yes, profitable. From, ah, yes. so this is the problem. The demand for corn is driving the cost of pasta Exactly, up. because you know that corn can be used, for example, for the production of energy. I don't know the process, but oh, anyway, that happen- gasoline. That's a new dynamic in Italy. Yeah. So the pasta eaters are going to have to pay the price for... Exactly. Uh, exactly. So the price of the wheat is increasing. Hmm. What's your take on that, Renee? Well, I think that pasta in general is really not so expensive to begin with. So, you know, it's uh, kind of hard to complain. But um, I think they learned in the French Revolution, you've got to subsidize the cost of bread or the king and the queen are going to lose their heads. Maybe the Italians should. Uh, I, I know in France, actually, they do subsidize the cost of bread. They keep bread affordable. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. the equivalent in Italy is the pasta. You go to a lot of restaurants and they brag that it's homemade pasta. What does that mean mm-hmm. when they say homemade pasta? It should mean that it's made, you know, by hand. So it could be made uh, so by a, a professional place by hand. So when they say homemade. Yes, in artisanal way. Yes, homemade pasta, you know, is a very common. And this is a plus. When you put homemade pasta in the restaurant, it's always a plus because it's pasta which is produced a couple of days before. So it's more fresh as well as homemade. Absolutely. I see. So if they say homemade, it's, it's not a big deal that they cut it by hand. The big deal is it's more likely to be fresh. Fresh, yes. And is yes. it reliable when a restaurant says homemade? Yes. In general... In Italy, I would say. In Italy, yes. <laughs> I don't well, know about in the United States. <laughs> well, we're, we've just had our first course here. We're talking Italian pasta with Rene Restivo, a professional Italian cuisine guide and a cooking teacher from New York. And Tommaso Pante comes to us from Sicily. 
Tommaso, if I went to a restaurant, you know, the dollar's not very strong and Italy can be expensive, and I was overwhelmed by the bill, and I said, Ese lavasi piatti. What, what does that mean? <laughs> and if I wash the dishes. <laughs> In Americans, we joke about that. What if I wash the dishes? Okay, so lavasi i piatti, wash the dishes. What would the waiter say? Oh, well, they could accept your proposal. I mean, okay, come with me. And you Wouldn't that be an experience? You could say, <laughs> yeah, and they'd say, well, sure, you don't need to pay. Come back and work for an hour. All yeah. right. And I like this, solo la testa, per favore. Only the head, Only please. The head. Only the head, please. <laughs> <laughs> you say that in a restaurant, you'll get the, the wrong part of the fish. I have one for you, Rick. Yeah. We say when you're making wonderful Italian food, it's to raccogliere il marito, to attract your husband. Ooh. Yes, <laughs> Say that again in Italian. Raccogliere il marito. Oh. Raccogliere oh, il marito. So yes. if you make beautiful food, you're likely to attract a husband. Well, we say the best mm-hmm. way to a, a man's heart is through his stomach. Very important <laughs> yeah. phrases for us to know. Same thing. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. That's 877-333-RICK. You can email us anytime at radio at ricksteves.com. And Kate is on the line in Seattle. Hi, Kate. Hi, Rick. What do you have in mind about eating in Italy? Well, I was in uh, Italy in April with my brother, and uh, my girlfriend, Nell, had given me a, an article by Mimi Sheraton, and it was great because it talked about a seasonal specialty fried artichokes. And my brother and I love artichokes, but it also had some restaurants to sample them. And it was interesting because there was different versions of the dish, and some were amazing and some were okay. But my question is, um, are there other seasonal specialties that one could look for when they were traveling to Italy? I think that's a very important issue. The people that I meet over there who are really into food always stress, go with the season. And then the question is, well, how do you know what's in season? Exactly. Uh, Tommaso, what's your thoughts on seasonality for eating in restaurants in Italy? It's very important, the seasonality in Italy. In fact, let's say that we eat in general food of the season. For example, a July... August is the season for eggplants in Italy. So you find eggplants in uh, uh, grilled, roasted, all kinds of eggplants in the restaurant, you know, in the southern part, in the northern part. Artichokes, March, April, in uh, May also sometimes. Uh, Zucchini. Mm, Zucchini is also another kind of uh, seasonal food that you find. So uh, it's very important. I mean, we don't uh, eat in general food which is not in the season. See, in America, we think it's part of our Bill of Rights and our Constitution to be able to eat strawberries 12 months out of the year. (laughs) And and it's just we don't realize that we're taking a a hit in the the tastiness, I think. So an Italian would rather... Forget it. Even if they like zucchini, they'll wait until the zucchini are in season. Is exactly. that right? The restaurants will have mm-hmm. a special. A lot of people are just hell-bent on having porcini mushrooms, but the restaurant wants to serve zucchini flowers or something different, right? Right, right. Mm-hmm. And it would be wise of, to go with the daily special. Renee? I was going to say, one of the real interesting things for travelers to Italy that are interested in experiencing seasonal food would be La Sagra. La Sagra is a food festival. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's basically every single Italian town has a Sagra. So there would be, you know, depending on the region you're in and what their specialty is, um, they will have a Sagra for that particular type of food. So it could be La Sagra per ricotta cheese, uh-huh. La Sagra for artichokes, La Sagra for tomatoes, uh, and so that's really nice to explore. And if you go on the Internet, you can certainly Google your favorite food and see where that sagra is happening in Italy and when and plan your trip around that. You know, I haven't heard that term before, but we hit La Sagra of Artichokes in a little village in um, Umbria. 
it was incredible. Everybody was out, and they were uh, chopping up the artichokes, and everybody was in town, and it was a big festival all around delicious artichokes, and they were certainly in season. And we have another sagra in Sicily, in the town of Cerda, the sagra of the artichokes, which take place every year in March. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the main monument of the town in the main square is a huge artichoke. Mm-hmm. So it means that the artichokes, you know, took a big importance in the economy of this town. I need to make a special little sidebar in my guidebook about this. What is the word again, Kate? La sagra? La sagra. Yes. How do you spell that? L-A. S-A-G-R-A. La Sagra, just like it sounds. Okay, well, that's very important, and they're all over the place. Kate, does that make any sense to you? It sure does. Thank you so much. Thanks for your call. Okay. What about uh, seafood, calamari, clams, uh, this sort of thing? Is that all year long, or does it matter? Uh, no, we have all year long of this so, kind. Yes, uh, it's very easy to find clams in the restaurant or calamari. Yeah. And meat, do you get your uh, game at a certain time of year? Uh, meat, uh, let's say, mm, it depends, you know, because... Um, I tell you the truth, what happens in Italy. In Italy, in general, meat is imported from the northern part of Europe, mm. some from Holland, from Germany, and then we commercialize the meat from the north to uh, Italy. We don't have a big production of so meat. I think the rule of thumb would be look for what they're pushing on the on the blackboard, what they've written up on a piece of paper on the wall, the special daily menu that's yeah. uh, clipped onto the printed menu. Wouldn't you think that's fair, Renee, to say that's what they've got? They're not trying to push what's Absolutely. what's old. They're trying to push what's good. Absolutely. Yeah. Some of the best restaurants in Italy, they don't even have menus. They just have a menu of the day, which changes. And one of the greatest signs for eating in a fabulous restaurant is when you go in and you see that there's someone coming to your table to tell you the menu. It's not written down. Mm-hmm. They're just going to tell you the menu because it, it's it's the menu of the day. I believe it, and I love it. And even me, not speaking Italian, and I'm, and I'm not that sophisticated in this, I can make friends with the waiter and just say, what would you like me to eat today? And if it's a reputable restaurant, I think it's the best thing to do. One thing that I look for when I'm looking for restaurants to recommend is not the biggest neon sign that brags we speak English and accept visa cards, but a place that has a small handwritten menu. A small handwritten menu in one language means there's not a lot of selection because they want to uh, have everything fresh and not have to store stuff. It's handwritten because it changes every day according to what they found in the market that morning. And it's in one language because their their focus is return Italian customers. They'll welcome the tourists, but they, they really they focus on the locals who know a good value. Yeah. Sometimes in the restaurant you don't have even to order because they put all the antipastos, all the primos there. You don't order because they know that the kind of food that they're going to offer you is great. So this is a great way also to experience Italian food. Don't order. You just sit there and wait for the food. <laughs> nice. <is> <laughs> That's, that assumes you leave the tourist area and you have a local restaurant. Yeah. Dana's on the phone from Thousand Oaks, California. Hi, Dana. Thanks for your call. Oh, you're welcome. My pleasure. What do you have in mind for Italian food? Well, it's some of the best food I've ever had when I travel in Italy. It was just the best. And um, going by your guidebook, I know, you know, I like to travel, uh, you know, just uh, winging it. And we were headed north on the Ural, and we stopped in Trento, Italy. Oh, yeah. And um, it was probably the best meal I've, I think I've ever had. I remember we actually asked for, for more. <laughs> why, why was it so good? Um, it was just a combination of flavors. It was like there was a roasted veggies that were probably on olive oil, and then there was like a rolled-up meat, I guess beef, with a mushroom sauce. And I'm not even a big fan of mushrooms, and it was so good we were licking the plate. Wow. And my question is, like, what, <laughs> what region is that considered in Trento, Italy? Trento. Trentino, Trentino. Alto Adige. It's, yes. uh, it's Alto Adige, which is the South the Tyrol. South, South Tyrol. So that's the German-speaking part of Italy. And uh, I think it's interesting you were so impressed by the food in the German-speaking part of Italy because I was just there with uh, sitting down with a bunch of people from the tourist board, and they brought the salads out, and they all looked at it, and they said, 
Kraut. It was just Kraut because <laughs> they had their German influence, you know. But yeah. they do have great food in, in the Alto Adige. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's the, that's the Tyrolean part of Italy up in the Dolomite Mountains. Dana, you mentioned the olive oil, and I think that's a very important part of the whole equation, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, it's very important for us. I mean, the main ingredients in our food is olive oil. Uh, when you prepare all kinds of food, I mean, uh, cooked food or even not cooked food, olive oil is always very important, must be in our food. Without olive oil, the food doesn't taste the same. So olive oil is really the most important. Are you saying just olive oil or is there different levels of quality? I mean, you can get bad oil, too. Exactly. We can get bad olive oil, too. But, you know, I mean, my personal experience, my father has a nice uh, garden when he has a lot of olive trees. This is the harvest period for the olives in Sicily, no? And then he's picking the olives, go to the to the factory, he pressed the olive oil, and this is the best olive oil that you can get, your own olive oil from your garden. So a lot of Italians do have their own Absolute, private stash. Absolutely, especially mm-hmm. in the southern part of Italy. Okay. This is a very important for us. And we produce olive oil for one year. So, I mean, we don't have any, any problem about, you know, expiring dates. We don't see this. Sometimes we use olive oil all the two or three years. Okay, so in other words, you eat it fast enough and you make small enough quantities where it's always yes, uh, young and fresh. Exactly. Renee, what's your take on olive oil and good cuisine? Olive oil, to me, is the most important ingredient in Italian cuisine. It's, it's what makes it so wonderful because, you know, many restaurants in Italy are also using the olive oil that they've made, you know, at home or that their friend has given to them. And it's so wonderful. And there are so many different varieties, depending on what region of Italy you're in. It might be a little bit more picante, a little bit more spicy in the south, might have a more, um, you know, um, a, a taste Fruit. in Tuscany, which, yeah, which is a little bit more subtle. Hmm. And it's really wonderful to also compare olive oils when you're traveling even in different towns, and there's a difference. And there's many shops that have a sampling out so you can degustazione the olive oil. Yes, you can do this. This is very important, actually. And the degustation of olive oil is made usually with the bruschetta. Yeah, okay. so there, you go to a little shop, and yeah. it's very popular in tourist areas, and they have the bread out and the different plates of different kinds of olive oil, and you can actually sample it and realize, oh, yeah, that does make sense. When they're talking about extra virgin olive oil, is that an important term to be aware of? Yes, extra yes. virgin olive oil in general is the first press of the olives. So you get this high quality so it's of olive oil. Creme de la creme. The, creme the de la creme, exactly. This is the top of the olive oil. And then we have olio virgine di oliva, olio d'oliva. And then the last quality of olives that you get in general from the pressure is olio lampante, lamp oil, because in the past this was used to make So light, if I can yeah. understand your Italian, you've got the very best, which is extra virgin. Extra virgin, the top. And then you got virgin olive virgin. oil. Virgin olive oil, olio d'oliva, olive oil. And you got then... stuff to power your lamp. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Renee, when you go to a restaurant, can you tell before you commit yourself to a meal there, how do you know the olive oil is okay? From the color. You can, you can From yeah, the color? see the color and you can taste it also, yeah. but, you know, also it might be more clear or less clear. Mm-hmm. And that, that is one indication. And what's better? Clear or what do you look for? Well, see, that, that depends because um, if you have an olive oil that's not the clearest you've ever seen. That doesn't mean that it's necessarily bad, but you have to. it's a combination of smelling, tasting, mm-hmm. and looking at it, I would say. One of the great things about extra virgin olive oil is it has so many antioxidants, so it really fights free radicals, and that's why Italians have you know, that longevity. They're living to be oh. 114 in so, Sardinia. And the, so, and the red uh, wine is supposed to be good for your longevity too, I understand. Yeah, yes. that combination. 
But about olive oil, what's, what's interesting as well is the, the history of the olive tree in Italy. I mean, you can go to parts of the south in Puglia and Sicilia, and you can touch an olive tree that is a 1,000 years old, older than that. I saw one that was 1,700 years old last year, and... Mm immense. You could you could fit a house in it. There's this wonderful history because during the times of Magna Grecia, the Greeks used olive oil for many of the sacred ceremonies and they had many rituals connected to that. So there's still this sort of connection that Italians have to it, mm-hmm. you know, besides just the cuisine, but also just the history. So and, you're referring you know, back that. to the days when southern Italy was a Greek colony called Magna Greca, and that was 500 years yes. before Christ. Yeah. Dana, there's some ideas for you. I hope you go back to Italy and get another life-changing dinner. <laughs> I do, too. All right. Thanks for your call. Thank you very much. Jesse's on the phone uh, from Seattle, Washington. Hi, Jesse. Thanks for your call. Hi, Rick. Got any ideas on eating in Italy? Well, I did have a question. I had heard that there was a garlic debate raging among the chefs in Italy, possibly about eliminating garlic altogether from Italian cooking. And I didn't know if you guys had heard about that or knew how the debate got started. I heard about it. There is a very trendy restaurant in Rome called La Trattoria, and there's a chef there who was suggesting that garlic is really not necessary because it overpowers other flavors. But, of course, this is very controversial because many Italians are garlic lovers and they want to, you know, use garlic in many recipes. Yes, we actually use in the Sicilian cuisine a lot of garlic. We prepare the so-called, probably, you know, René, you know, the so-called samurillo. Uh, Samurillo Mm -hmm. is a a sort of sauce that we put in in the fish, sword fish, which is made by garlic, olive oil and oregano. And this is a kind of a combination that for the grilled swordfish. The very and important lemon thing, usually. And lemon also. And the very important is to have a lot of garlic. I mean, it depends. It's a controversial, yes, to use or not garlic. But anyway, I would say that uh, still in Italy, and especially in the southern part of Italy, the use of garlic is important. For the bruschetta, for example, the bruschetta, we use garlic. Uh, we use a lot oh, of garlic. And I cannot get a bruschetta in America as wonderful as in Italy for some reason. I don't, maybe you have an answer to this, Renee, but I'm crazy about it. My whole family, our children, love bruschetta. When you get the right bruschetta in Italy, there's something about it that's hard to beat. I mean, it's a combination of the fresh-baked bread the olive oil, which is the cold, you know, extra virgin, cold pressed, and those ingredients that are so fresh and seasonal. So if you can get all of those here in the States, and and that's the only way to really make a really great bruschetta that will compare. (laughs) Uh, That's popular in a particular region. Where's the center of bruschetta? It's very common in Tuscany. Bruschetta with porcini, with fegato, which is the chicken liver, uh, bruschetta with, uh, you know, of course, tomatoes and garlic. Now, is there a pure, simple, basic bruschetta, and then the rest of the stuff is kind of gilding the lily and over the top, or do people like to have all these different ingredients on top of their bruschetta? No, sometimes when we order bruschetta, for example, at the restaurant, they bring you a plate with a different kind of bruschetta. So one could be with uh, onion, garlic, and tomato, another one with uh, porcini, mushrooms, okay. another one with olive uh, spread. But depends also on, uh, sometimes on the quality of the bread. The bread, for example, in our culture is very important. And there's something fundamentally different about Italian bread. What makes... Italian bread, Italian bread. Italian bread is, first of all, it must be fresh. We don't use any frozen bread. Sometimes, you know, you heard <laughs> my friend, okay, <laughs> I have in the freezer some frozen bread. Don't use that bread. It's really <laughs> bad. 
so if, uh, and the bread is different the north from the south even from the center for example in Tuscany in Florence they use bread without salt in the southern part of Italy we add a lot of salt in the bread because this gives a special taste in the area of Matera for example in Basilicata region we have a big form of bread two kilos three kilos you know uh, so for them it's very important the bread and also the shape of the bread could be different we have the so-called mezzaluna half moon bread of fish the shape of a fish shape of an angel it depends <laughs> <laughs> you know it's a very or the palm trees the shape of palm trees the bread but angel palm trees this is a kind of bread that we produce especially during the Easter period uh, the so-called kudura kulova I mean the bread with the eggs and this is something which is dating back to the Greek period actually and I think is it am I right that there's something about your bread that makes it really fantastic when it's fresh but it goes unfresh quicker than other bread so you have to eat it quickly it's just worthless mm-hmm. tomorrow Yes, I mean, um, this is now in the modern time, but I remember my grandma, my grandma, which was preparing bread at home for a week. Okay, for a week in the oven, you know, she prepared bread for all the family and they put in the basket, in the bamboo cane basket, and the bread was fresh even after a week. So this is a part... Oh, so there was a way to make it fresh. Yes. Uh, I hmm. don't know the secret. We'll I mean, have to talk to your grandma. <laughs> we got an email from Donna in Helena, Montana, Donna writes, my husband and I have been in Italy several times and still aren't sure what's the proper ordering sequence for the locals. Do restaurants expect you to order a primi, secondi, and dolce, and so on? So when you when you go to an Italian restaurant, of course, you see the menu broken up into the antipasti, the primi, the secondi, uh, and the dolce. So that would be the antipasti would be the appetizers. The primi would be the first course, primi piatto, the first plate, which would be minestrone and pastas. Secondi would primo be your piatto. primo piatto, thank you. Uh, secondi, secondo would be the uh, uh, meat and fish and so on, the main course. And then dolce, of course, is the sweets. And another uh, element would be the verdura, right? The the vegetables mm-hmm. that you could supplement. Contorni. The thank you, contorni. Mm-hmm. So those mm-hmm. are your basic structure of the uh, menu. Can you just go to a restaurant and have a pasta and a glass of wine? Yes, you can have a glass of wine. In general, in the restaurant, when especially in those restaurants which serve big, huge amount of food, you know, they order, for example, first they begin with the antipasto and with the primi. Then the waiter will come, okay, would you like some secondo? Would you like some meat, some fish? They are very flexible. Or you can have also one antipasto and one secondo. Mm-hmm. Or you can have one antipasto, one pasta, one salad. I mean, we have a lot of flexibility from the this point of view. I mean, it's not mandatory to use a complete menu, especially in those restaurants, you know, which serve a lot of food. For a lot of Americans, a big plate of antipasti is, it fills you up, or a nice yes. pasta. Yes. Is that okay to go to a restaurant and order only that? Absolutely, yes. Well, Italians eat so differently than Americans. I mean, also their lunch, you know, may be longer and more extensive in the South, whereas in the North, they might have a different time for that. But, you know, Italians are very forgiving. If you go into a trattoria and you order just a few courses, they're going to be fine with that. But if you want to really eat like an Italian, then I would say many Italians do eat all of those courses paired with wines. Well, that's sort of a meal that's an event. Sometimes you go out for a meal and it's a four-hour affair in the evening. Well, then you're going to sit and eat and, and it's just going to be drawn out. But if you're just grabbing a bite, 
you can have yourself a salad or an antipasto. Or I really like the antipasti bar. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes, the antipasto is a self-service, so they put a lot, let's say 20, 25 plates of antipasto mm-hmm. there. You have grilled vegetables, for example, the chicoria or the mushrooms grilled. You have grilled eggplants, grilled artichokes, uh, and so on. And then you could have also sardines, sardina beccafico, for example. This is a typical of the south in the area of Palermo. I mean, you can fill your plate as much as you want. And you can create a masterpiece. This plate is just like an antipasto dream come true. And uh, it can be a meal. And it's 10 euros, $15, and you can call that lunch. I I would do. Renee, what is your take? I I feel like in America, we're really into salad bars. In Italy, a lot of times you will find, Mm -hmm. rather than a fancy salad bar, you'll find this Mm -hmm. over-the-top spread of appetizers. Yeah, antipasti is just one of the things you can even find in the big cities like Milano. You'd be surprised to walk into a city like Milano and find this wonderful fresh antipasti in the restaurant. For Americans, maybe we're a little bit not used to that or we're used to eating salads in a different way. Mm -hmm. But you can certainly make a meal out of it and it's very healthy. Another thing you can do is just go to the mercato, to the market in any part of Italy. And you can usually find some type of food which is either street food or food that's being prepared right there in front of you and eat that, you know, which is sort of like an antipasti. Like I once saw a woman who was grilling peppers right at the market Mm. or grilling artichokes, you know, Mm. with olive oil and garlic right at the market. And you can just buy that and make a really nice meal out of it, you know. Oh, if you're looking for for a colorful, memorable meal and if you're on a budget, go to the market Mm. and you can either uh, picnic with class like Renee's talking about or I find at the market some of the very best little restaurants, eateries for the local people and for the market workers. My mark of the best restaurant value would be a place open only Monday. Monday through Friday at lunchtime. You find those and you know it's just for the market workers. I will remind people when you go to the market, uh, the Italians sell their food by a 100-gram unit called an etto. Etto, yeah. So you'll see that's about a quarter pound, 100 grams. In a menu, a lot Mm -hmm. of confusion is caused by the pane e coperto and servicio. Mm -hmm. Bread and cover would be one price and then there'd be a service charge on top of that. Do you need to tip beyond that? In Italy, they don't uh, necessarily tip. They might round up, or if the service is excellent, they might round up. Wouldn't you agree, Tommaso? Uh, well, this is a very controversial topic, actually, because, it you is. know, yeah, it is. It is. Because when I sometimes I go with my groups, you know, in the restaurant, they say, okay, you have to pay also the servizio in coperto, because they include in the servizio sometimes the cost of the launch of the napkins uh, on the, this kind of that stuff. That says that on the menu, right? Uh, yes. Servizio e coperto. I, sometimes the servizio is included. The servizio is included, the servizio is not included. Non-incluso? Uh, Non-incluso. Yeah. Incluso is in general, included is in general between the 10 and the 15% of the cost of now the Now, that's bill. not going to go into the waiter's pocket. That's no. just for the restaurant. For that's the extra restaurant. money for the restaurant. Extra money for the restaurant, Does a yes. waiter, in America, the waiter uh, does not get a living wage, and it's the whole system is you pay a little extra so they get a mm-hmm. fair, fair treatment. In Italy, is the waiter considered uh, somebody who has a living wage, or is part of his wage expected from the tips? Uh, once again, it depends on the area where you are. If you are in a touristic area, probably, you know, where you see a lot of Americans that tip, they expect a tip in general. But if you go in a little restaurant in a little town, probably they don't expect Just a tip. Just round it up if you liked it. If you like, so yes. So we have it's corrupted, tourists have corrupted the system, really. Exactly, you have. <laughs> All right. <laughs> exactly. Julie's on the line in Seattle. Thanks, Julie, for your call. Hello. Hi, what's your uh, thoughts on Italian food? I think that the grocery stores are just fabulous places to pick things up, take home for souvenirs, or to take back to your hotel room and have a quick meal or a cheap meal. It's just really fun to go to the grocery stores there. I, I agree, and you can sort of uh, equip a pantry in your hotel room when you arrive for a few nights in a place with a visit to the grocery store. 
if there are certain things that you can buy, like the canned tuna that's already flavored, that's just fabulous when you bring it home and just dump the can over a plate of cooked pasta or these fabulous big dried beans that are really hard to find here. Oh, you're talking about actually bringing things home bringing as a things souvenir. Home, yes. yeah. Or just to have in the hotel room, too, because it's yeah. so cheap and there's just so many mm-hmm. awesome things. But, you know, little packages of coffee and... Pesto sauce. Yeah. People love pesto sauce. Mm-hmm. That's a classy way to snack in the room. It's a really important, I think, cultural experience, too, to go into the supermarket and shop with Italians and see how they shop and what they're buying and what they're making. And um, also the markets, you know, again, to support the markets and shop there because you can find so many ingredients that are so reasonable and make a meal out of them. So, yeah, I love going to, to supermarkets. In the little supermarkets, mm-hmm. you can talk to the merchants about their why they have this prosciutto and why they love this cheese and why you must have this yes. oil. This is a kind of suggestion that they give you. Mm-hmm. The merchant, they say, okay, better you buy this prosciutto, which is much better than the other one. Uh, I tried it. And sometimes they allow you to taste. Okay, they, try the, mm-hmm. they give you lots of chances to take a taste. Yes. And I, I find mm-hmm. it's completely credible. They really care about you when they're telling you this. And like the olive oils, okay. you have no idea there's so many different kinds. That's a very good tip, Julie. Thanks for your call. Okay, thank you. We have Kesh <laughs> on the line in Lexington, South Carolina. Hi, Kesh. Thanks for your call. Thanks, Rick. Um, suppose you're in Venice and you just want a piece of pizza, a slice of pizza like you can get in America, or a veggie sandwich. Can you just get that, or you have to order a whole meal or what? No, you I mean, can just get that. Sure. In fact, I think one of the great budget tips in Italy is going to the pizza rustica, right? They sell the pizza by the weight. And then you need to know how much weight you want. So after you do it a few times, you realize, oh, for me, 200 grams is more than enough. And right. then it's very cheap. And you get a beer or a Coke or a water, and you get that. And then the trick in Venice, especially, is to find a romantic place, a beautiful place to sit and eat it out in public. So you're enjoying a a good slice of fresh pizza and a drink and uh, the ambience of Venice for the price of a picnic. But all over Italy, you can get great pizza to go. I think that's a big deal for the kids and anybody on a budget. Yes, a slice of pizza in the southern part, uh, one arancino, rice balls. This is another uh, kind of uh, food that you can get. It's a lunch sometimes. Uh, Arancino, rice balls is big. It's a lunch, Because there's a lot of good, cheap, to-go food that you'll find all over Italy, yeah. And what about vegetarians for vegetarians, strict vegetarians? Is it easy? Yes, it is. Uh, we it's pretty easy. Very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a lot of uh, fruit and vegetables, you know, that we produce, actually we eat. Uh, I yeah. would say it's important, if you are a vegetarian, to have on a piece of paper exactly how strict you are and what, what your uh, concerns are. I have, uh, I have a, a, a phrase here, niente con gli occhi. Niente <laughs> con gli occhi. Nothing with eyeballs. Uh, <laughs> and you can do that kind of fun. Yeah. Uh, but you should say, I'm a strict vegetarian, absolutely no meat or no seafood or yes. whatever your concerns are. Have it written by a local on a little 3 by 5 card and keep it in your, your shirt pocket. Oh, okay, and, okay. But the Italians are very cool with vegetarian cooking and so on. Yeah. Thanks, Kesh, for your call. Thank you. Okay, happy travels. We're speaking with Tommaso Panti from Sicily and... Renee Restivo, who's uh, coming to us from New York. Renee's a cooking teacher. She leads culinary tours around Italy. I love coffee, and one of my challenges is to enjoy the coffee culture in Italy. And I know tourists can do some sort of embarrassing things. When I was in Sicily, I asked for coffee after lunch, and people looked at me funny. What's the deal? 
Tommaso? A little about cappuccino, you cappuccino, mean. Cappuccino, yeah. Cappuccino after lunch, this is the biggest mistake that you can make. <laughs> Why? <laughs> no, never ask for a cappuccino after lunch because you can ask for a coffee. Caffè lungo, caffè espresso, caffè corretto, many kinds of coffee, <laughs> but never for a cappuccino. Cappuccino, we have cappuccino only in the morning for breakfast or 10 o'clock to have a break, but never, never after lunch. Is that because somebody told me you don't put milk on top of tomatoes exactly. in your stomach? <laughs> Exactly. You got tomatoes in your stomach. You don't throw milk on it. Exactly. So black coffee, because okay. They, I mean, they fight. Tomato and milk, they fight in they, the stomach. Oh. So you shouldn't do this. <laughs> well, but you know, in the bar, especially if you go in the big cities, they uh, get used, you know, to serve a cappuccino after lunch. To the tourists. To the tourists, of course, never and never to the okay. Italians. Now, um, a coffee macchiato is okay? Cafe macchiato is okay. Because um, that has a little milk in it. Okay, so we have the culture of the coffee, you know. So we have the espresso, which is the regular coffee. Mm -hmm. And then we have the cafe lungo. So the espresso just uh, with a little bit more coffee. And then we have the cafe corretto, with grappa or with sambuca. Cafe corretto. Corretto, yes. And that means with alcohol, with a little fire Yes. Uh, In the past, you used the grappa. Okay. What does corretto mean if you translate that? Corretto. Correct? Mm, yes, correct. So you're, you're, it's kind of a joke. Coffee, let's make it correct. Let's put correct. some alcohol in it. Yes, but now the new trend is to put sambuca in the cafe corretto. Sambuca? Sambuca, yes, it's delicious. Mm. Anisette, sort of anisette. And then we have the cafe lungo, cafe in tazza americana. Uh, yeah. Cafe in big, uh, in big cup, cafe americano, let's say. So a big but, cup, a big, uh, the big gulp would be the American style. Yes, uh, but we don't drink a lot of cafe americano, no. And if you want to just throw it down, you stand at the bar. Yes. Because people just get a quick bite or a quick drink at the bar. Yes. And it's cheaper at the bar. Absolutely, yes. If you're served in the table, they could overcharge you the price of the 20%, 20, 25%. You pay a little more, and then you, you're renting yeah. the real estate, really. You can stay there for a long time. Yes, yes. Yeah. And the price of the coffee, the espresso, may vary from 70 cents to 1 euro in 20 in Italy. I want to finish talking about something very important, gelato. And, Renee, what's your advice to travelers? Well, if you see something that's a real bright, bright color, it may be artificial. If you see a gelato which is not as vibrant, chances are that the ingredients are all, you know, fresh. And they're, you know, using uh, just the fresh fruit and everything natural. But the interesting question that I always get is the difference between gelato and ice cream. The answer to that is that there's really no air in gelato, and also there is a lower level of butter fat. We have more butter fat and different types of dairy ingredients, of course, in our ice cream here in the United States. I would say, you know, look for the gelato artigianale, which would be the kind of natural uh, without any uh, hidden ingredients. You can recognize that by the brightness of the yeah. colors to a certain degree. Because you go around Florence down the main tourist drag, and it's like for children. You've got all these bright colors of gelato. And then you go to the yeah. places where the aficionados go, and it's mellow. It's mellow colors. Exactly, exactly. And sorbetto and granita are two other really wonderful things to try in Italy. Sorbetto is the fruit with a simple syrup of sugar. You know, it is really wonderful, natural frozen dessert. And granita, which is found in the south in Sicily, can vary in flavor from almond granita to lemon granita. And there are places in Italy where they actually eat granita for breakfast. So granita is kind of like... 
I don't know if you'd call it a shaved ice. It's, so it's, it's a, a slush. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a slush, yes. A yes. And we mm-hmm. use, in, especially in the southern part in Sicily for breakfast in the summertime, we fill a cup of granita and then a brioche, which is a sweet bread. We dip the sweet bread into the granita. This is our every morning breakfast. It's very refreshing. You put your... your uh, br- brioche. We call it brioche. Your roll, mm-hmm. your breakfast roll. Mm-hmm. Uh, which mm-hmm. is a sweet bread, actually. A sweet bread. You dip mm-hmm. it into your ice cone, your, it, your slush. Into in, the, the slush, yeah, yes. Almond granita. Almond granita or and lemon granita. Breakfast. That's our breakfast. Mm-hmm. This is very refreshing mm-hmm. and uh, it's unique. I mean, this is really one experience. Yeah. One more reason to go to Sicily. Absolutely. Dessert <laughs> is gelato with the brioche and panna, whipped cream. Mm. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. And we have Mike on the line in Lexington, Kentucky. Hi, Mike. Hey, Rick. How you doing? Great. Thanks for your call. You thinking about Italian food? Uh, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, the first time I went uh, about 15 years ago, and it's been about six times since then, um, I had no idea that what I was going to find was a passion for uh, Italian cuisine. Obviously, I was there for the art and the culture and so many other, you know, the, the history in general, but uh, came back with this uh, almost an obsession with Italian food. So now when I go back, uh, every time I go back, it's, uh, okay, where are we going to eat breakfast? Where are we going to eat dinner? So on and so forth. So I love that. I wanted to ask a, a question about the bread you were talking about earlier. I understand that there is no salt in the bread. That centuries ago there was a tax on salt that was incurred, and therefore the Italians learned how to make their bread without salt. Is this is this correct? Yes, that's true in Tuscany. But in the South, you'll find that the bread does have uh, sea salt added to it. So the tastes are very different. Yes. And also, you notice when you go into a restaurant, they'll put olive oil and bread on the table, but never butter. This is another thing we Americans have to get used to when they go in and they're going to eat their bread at the restaurant. And my, my Italian friends remind me, Americans are often so excited about the bread and the oil that they fill up on that before the real food comes. Yes, and this is another big mistake because you it, should. It can be a problem. Yeah. <laughs> I can't stop eating it. And all of a sudden, here comes my first of three courses. Otherwise, you, otherwise you eat only the bread and the olive oil and you leave the rest of the food there. This is something that you shouldn't do. Yeah, On the other hand, I've been with a Roman, and, and when the food was bad, he says, well, at least I can eat the bread and the oil, because that was good. You know, uh, <laughs> I found that taking a couple of extra minutes and traveling away from the walking, primarily away from the tourist areas to a place where the restaurants are a little bit smaller, they speak a little less English, uh, you have a better opportunity to really experience the real cuisine of Italy. Oh, this is critical, and and uh, Italians love to eat out, and I don't think they crave to eat out with a bunch of noisy Americans. They like That's to right. eat out in a small place where they can have their uh, atmosphere and their good quality and good value food. And I have just one one restaurant on the contrary. It's a place that is uh, loaded down with people, but it is a, a restaurant which is located in Florence inside the indoor market uh, near Piazza Luce, and there is a, a little restaurant that only serves lunch, and... Being inside the the market there, every single thing that they serve is as fresh as it can possibly be. So that's my recommendation. I was just researching in that big uh, Mercato Centrale, and it's a huge place. And there's a number of wonderful restaurants in and around the market packed out with locals that just do a thriving business at lunchtime. And that's always a good tip is just to eat at the market. Market, absolutely, yes. Mike, thanks for your call. Thank you so much. I'll see you in Italy. We'll, we'll see you at that little <laughs> osteria next to the market in Italy. Ciao. Believe me, I will. Bye-bye. Buon appetito. Wow. You've got my appetite charged here, and it reminds me what a great part of traveling uh, in Italy the, the food is. 
Once again, the more you know about the great cuisine of Italy, the more you'll be able to enjoy it in your travels and in a restaurant just down the street here in the United States. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We've been eating our way through Italy, thanks to Rene Restivo, the cooking teacher and leads culinary tours through Italy. Rene's website is lemonsandoregano.com. And Tommaso Ponte has joined us from Sicily. And Tommaso has a website at sunway.it. Tommaso and Rene, mille grazie. Grazie anche te. Can we say buon sì. appetito a tutti? Certamente, buon appetito a tutti <laughs> e have a nice siesta as well after lunch, after dinner. <laughs> Words of wisdom. Thanks a lot. Ciao. You must. You Ciao. must. Ciao. Rick Steves has spent a third of his adult life in Europe, researching and writing guidebooks. His now classic, Europe Through the Back Door, teaches the skills of smart travel. Rick Steves' Italy is America's top-selling Italian guidebook. At Rick Steves' online travel store, you'll also find the guidebooks for Rome, Venice, Florence and Tuscany, and Rick's Italian phrasebook. To learn more about Rick's guidebooks for Italy and beyond, visit the Travel Store at ricksteves.com.